asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. I'm Matt. And today we're answering your listener questions. That's right. We've got a listener question episode lined up for you on this beautiful Monday. And uh, we've got five, like always, we've got five listener questions to, to get to. A listener. Could be terrible weather, by the way, where our listeners are, Matt. You have no idea. <laughs> that is true. It, it's nice here. It though. is beautiful here, though. Uh, so a little, listener, a, little, a little hot still. It's a little warm. She's got student loans, and she's trying to figure out how much money to keep on hand, how much liquidity, while also paying down those student loans. We'll get to her question. We're going to cover a 529 strategy for adults. For adult learners, all adults should be learners. But if you're looking to go back to school, and we're going to talk about that. Lifelong learning is important. And uh, another listener, he's worried about the, or he's wondering maybe if he should be worried about some of the bank downgrades that have been making their way through the news. We'll get to those three questions, plus a couple others during today's episode. All right. I look forward to it. But before we get to that, Matt, I wanted to ask you, kind of a frugal or cheap, I've got a couple pairs of headphones as... A dude who listens to a lot of tunes, who listens to podcasts, but who also creates audio for a living. I wear headphones a lot of the day. Mm-hmm. And over time, those headphones, they wear out, right? But one, I actually have two pairs that this is happening to right now. The ear muff thingies that go on the outside mm-hmm. are... Like the- yeah. They're basically disintegrating. I'm pretty sure that's the technical term for a yeah. muff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, they're not your muffs. The, 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 the pads, right? Oh, the yeah, go, yeah, yeah. The, the cushion that creates the nice seal. And yes. That's, but these pads are wearing out. They're molting. Whatever. And actually, I have like little flecks of black all over me from these pads. Uh, is I it, often look over at you, and you've got something black like, yes, on your face. I know. I'm like oh, right there, buddy. So right is there. it frugal or cheap <laughs> that I'm replacing the pads, not the headphones? <laughs> Uh, it is the earth conscious thing. To, it's the green thing to do, most likely, because I'm sure that you could just easily toss those and buy a pair for like another cheap pair 
for well, like 10 bucks. They're not super cheap headphones. They're probably like 55, 60 dollars. Oh, really? Headphones. Yeah. I mean, you watch the, all the slick deals and all that. Because like, let's I'm be honest, sure you could get a $50 pair for $10. When you're wearing headphones all day, every day, you don't want the $10 pair. Well, so there's, a, why, there's a difference in like ergonomics and sound quality. Well, that's why I don't like the over the ear because it presses on. I think it's it has to do with the fact that I wear glasses. And so mm. I've got glasses. And when you do the over the ear, even though they're not really supposed to push on your ear, they still push on your ear a little bit. And they're when you've way, got glasses, it smushes the car, the, your ear up against your head, uh, and it's, it sandwiches the acetate, uh, the, the arm of the glass glasses there, and it hurts. That's why I like the in-ear buds. Even while I'm sitting here at the desk, I don't like doing plug-in. I like to do the Bluetooth. I think we can both agree that the worst of both worlds is the on-ear headphones. Yep. Only psychos wear those, <laughs> my parents included. I don't know why. They're, it's they're like showing the def- headphones. I'm like, who would get these? They're the default cheap headphone I think oh, like so you know, they, they look like they're the the nicer ones but yeah. in reality they just uh yeah they don't quite cut it all right so I think I play, paid like eight or nine dollars for replacement for for the muffs on like a 50 60 dollar pair of headphones yeah all right well if, if if that's the case then I think you probably made the right move I, I was thinking those were like a ten dollar just a cheap pair but yeah. I just rock my beats yeah there you go <laughs> if I see a great sale at some point maybe I'll upgrade but these things they're still working they're just I don't I don't want all the molting you know the plastic, plasticky stuff all over you me don't anymore. want extinct dinosaur particles on you, you know, <laughs> right? petroleum. That's where plastic comes from, yes. Uh, let's introduce the beer <laughs> that we're going to enjoy today. So this is a beer, this is a collaboration actually between Burial and the 8th State, which is a brewery in Greenville, South Carolina. And this beer is called, These Are Depictions of Yet Another Revolutionary Absence. <laughs> Uh, this is an imperial stouts. We were just joking about how you shouldn't drink big stouts uh, <laughs> in, in the summer. In the summer heat. And here we go. So <laughs> this is what we're going to enjoy today. We'll share our thoughts at the end of the episode. Yeah, and you always have to laugh at any burial naming convention because they're all ridiculous and over the top. And but, a state evidently allows it. Yeah. They're like, fine, <laughs> like, you guys want to name it your ridiculous name. You guys do your it. thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but uh, we take listener questions every single week now on the show, and we would love to take yours. So if you have a money question please feel free to reach out. You can submit yours at howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions. It's really just recording a quick voice memo into your phone and emailing it our way. But yeah, hopefully we can take yours next Monday. All right, but let's get to our first question for this episode. This one is from a listener who's got a bunch of young kids and has multiple money goals. Hey, Matt and Joel. I'm Rachel from Crystal Lake, a suburb of Chicago. You don't know this, but you come with me on several walks and I love it. Thank you so much. I'm a consultant with variable income and my husband is in sales. Together, we bring in approximately 200K a year. We have three kids, ages five and under, and boy, are they expensive. Together, we have about 100K in student loans with interest rates that vary from five to 7.25%. We've maxed out contribution for my husband's work and I save a minimum of 2k a month that doesn't go to taxes combined we have about 216k left on a mortgage with a rate under 4.5 percent on which we make 200 principal payments extra per month at present we have 40k altogether in the various cds and high yield savings accounts keeping money aside i'll need to pay taxes should i pay off the student loans first keeping a certain percentage above the emergency fund as liquid pay less and have more liquid? And how do we decide how much to put into home upgrades with excellent ROI? I've paid off the only car we have this year, and we don't have any credit cards that have a balance with interest applied. 
Thank you so much for your insight and your help. You guys rock. All right, Rachel. So going back to what you were saying there at the beginning, uh, we are happy to hear that we are your walking buddies. It's like the yeah two two buds that get to walk along with you and you don't even have to schedule and figure out where it is that you're going to meet up or where you're going to reconnoiter <laughs> meet up with somebody but yeah we, we love that thank you for bringing us along and also another note too man kids it is true they are expensive uh they're they're not quite as expensive as some of the different headlines out there would lead you to believe i you know i think is it in like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars? No, like the co- I think it's like three hundred and eight thousand. Oh, is it okay. something like that? Was the last I, I heard. Oh, I thought it was a lot more. It used to be in the upper twos. Now it's low. Well, three hundred is not that not that much. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. It's <laughs> a lot of money over twenty years. Yeah, uh, it's still, think, still a lot of money. But I think for some people that can scare you off. You'll be like, I thought I was going to have kids, but not if it costs that much. There's a lot of there are a lot of ways to make sure that your kids don't cost quite. That it only costs three hundred. Man, I want to have like five more kids. Right. Uh, <laughs> It gets overwhelming. And yet I I realize, like, yeah, it's not easy, but of course it is worth it, uh, even though it's costly, right? But uh, Matt, let's let's talk about kind of get to Rachel's question. There's kind of a lot going on in this one. So we'll try to get to a bunch of the points or the uh, questions that you had. And it sounds like y'all are doing really well from an income standpoint, which is great. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you're saving and investing at a solid clip. You don't have any debts that are out of control. And... You've got that paid-off car. That's something we dig. Like we, oh we yeah, don't, we don't like car debt. That's one of our least favorite things. And I think she said that they paid off the only car that they have, uh, which makes it sound like that they're a one-car family yeah. that they're rocking that with three kids. That is awesome. Hang on to that as long as you can. Yeah, the longer you can stick with that. The, <clears throat> yeah. the, the I'm like salivating this beer, so <laughs> it's so good. I just took a sip. But it's just easier than I think a lot of people, like in their minds, are like, oh, we've got, okay, we've got kids now. We definitely have to get the be the two-car family thing. But with so many people working remotely and the ability, it takes a little more work to schedule, but the ability to bike, I literally, I mean, I biked my dude to preschool this morning on the cargo bike. Yeah. I'm gonna and and with ride sharing too. We're gonna we gotta take the van in to get some repair work done later this week. Gonna take it there and then I'm gonna Uber home because guess what? All right, fifteen twenty bucks with tip and all of a sudden that means I don't need that second car. Yeah, it's definitely a line item in the budget that more and more people can and should question, especially especially given how many more people are working hybrid or fully remote these days. On the student loan front, by the way, whether or not it's a priority to pay off those that student loan debt, it depends largely on this new save plan, right? Which is changing the game for anybody who has outstanding student loan debt. It's it, This save plan is likely going to change your payment amount, or it is for a whole lot of people. And there's this uh, helpful calculator on student loan planner that we'll link to in the show notes. But if this new save plan is gonna reduce your payment substantially and your balance still won't be growing, which is part of the benefit of this new save plan, your student loans likely shouldn't be a top priority. The, the biggest benefits come to low and middle-class income earners though, which isn't you guys, Rachel. Like, sounds like you guys are, are making more than that. And yeah, you have three kids, though, so so much depends on the specifics of what sort of subsidy you're going to qualify for under the new save guidelines. How long have you been paying on those student loans, right? How much There's a lot of different factors. balance is left? And so, yeah, take, in, take that into consideration. Plug your numbers into that calculator and kind of see, well, oh, looks like my payment's not going to be changed. If that's the case, then you, that higher rate student loan debt is probably a bigger priority for you than it is for other people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, this would be honestly just a really tough one, right? So she specifically said that her student loan interest rates uh, are a little bit, I don't know if they're a little bit higher relative to, to most other folks, but they're on the line, right? So typically, any loans that are higher than 7%, like 
I would want those gone if, if that was me. And anything lower than 7, 7%, like in my mind, that wouldn't be the, the worst debt in the world to, to keep around if you have other goals, if you are investing solidly. Right. But if your payments, Rachel, if they get reduced with this, this new safe plan, uh, and you know, like let's say you hit that max 20 or 25 years of, of repayments, and then you end up coming out ahead, then I see no reason to pay down on them early, even though that might be your natural tendency, especially, I mean, she mentioned her, her mortgage, making ex- additional payments to that. I yeah. get the impression that they don't like having debt around and that's something that they might want to eliminate. Which, let's be honest, is a really good way to think about debt. But at the same time, when you have low interest rate debt and savings rates are higher and other financial goals, there's other things you can you, do. With you've it. got to moderate maybe your approach to debt and investing. Exactly. So with that forgiveness in mind and after you crunch your own numbers, if it's likely that this new plan could basically tip those higher student loans, especially the ones that are around seven and a quarter, to a lower effective rate, essentially, at the end of the day, then it certainly makes even more sense to not prioritize paying down the student loans. Yeah. And, and one of the heart of, at the heart of Rachel's question, it comes down to liquidity, which is such an important question, Matt, for, for people, because having more cash on hand gives you options, gives you flexibility, and can give you peace of mind. And fortunately, you're not hammered as hard now, uh, having money in savings as you were just a few years ago. And so how much money do you keep on hand, Rachel? That's a good question. And it, it seems like we're not prioritizing student loans, which because of this new save plan, we're, they're not as high of a priority as they would have been in years past. But it often comes down to what you're going to do with the money instead. That is really the crux of everything. Like, what are your alternative options? Because if you're just going to blow that money, which I don't think you are, it doesn't sound like you're that kind of person who's like going to go on a shop- self-control. Yeah, shopping's free with it. Like, you just want to know the best place to funnel it. Well, if you were going to spend it in a silly way, it would make sense to go ahead and be done with those student loans as opposed to you know, buying more stuff. But you're already investing. It sounds like you're maxing out your husband's 401k at work. It might make sense to go ahead and at least open up Roth IRAs, though, for the both of you. Yeah. Maybe max those out to the total of thirteen grand uh, a year for both of you. And if you did that, if you got the money invested, I think, Matt, you and I would both feel better about them missing out on the guaranteed return on you know their money by paying off the student loans because they're putting it in a, a tax-advantaged account to, to grow and compound for their future. Sure. Yeah. If you wanted to do it by the book, you would say the equivalent amount that you have outstanding on your student loans, invest that money. So once you have that uh, much additional money set aside and is either invested or even in, in a savings account where you're earning a higher rate. But again, knowing that when you do invest that money, it's going to compound, it, it, it kind of makes sense that you don't, it doesn't need to be dollar for dollar per se. I think if it was me, I would not only use some of her additional money to make sure that they've maxed out their Roth IRAs for this year, but also set aside money for next year. That way you have that money ready to, like it's sitting there on the sidelines, ready to go. January 1st hits, you're able yeah. to lump some invest. And next year it's $14,000 because they're upping the um, contribution limits from uh, sixty-five to 7000 which, which we, is we love to see. Which is awesome. And so if I were in your shoes I, and I was able to max out not only this year, but also next year's, I think I would feel much, much more comfortable about saying, okay, let's just see kind of how this plays out with the student loans. We don't necessarily need to pay those off ahead of time. But let's also get to home renovations, Rachel, because first of all, it sounds like you've got the ability to use that additional $2,000 a month that you're setting aside. 
and you've got the potential just to straight up pay cash for any projects that you've got in mind, which is awesome. Not to mention the 200 bucks a month they're prepaying towards the mortgage, like funnel that back into home rental like, projects. There you go, $2,200. <laughs> uh, and this is going to be way better than taking out a HELOC at today's rates. But then you asked about how much to put towards renovating. And this is going to have to be a, a judgment call on your part. You know, you and your husband, y'all, y'all need to talk about this. You'll, you'll need to think through what aspects of your home that you'd like to change the most and what will honestly have the most impact for y'all as a family. You know, like with something as simple as adding some cubbies in a mudroom, would, would that drastically improve the quality of, of life there? That's literally something that Kate and I did when we moved into yeah. our house last summer. Did not cost a lot of money, but it... I mean, I don't know what we would do with all the shoes, the backpacks, (laughs) the jackets in the winter, the bicycle helmets, just adding these cubbies where each person, we got six of them there, where they have their own space, dramatically increased the usability of our little entryway there. But with her, maybe like she's got three kids. So maybe she's realizing that what they need is another bathroom (laughs) or something. Right. But weigh those needs while at the same time, keeping in mind that you may not be in this house forever. And so you don't want to necessarily overbuild your street or your neighborhood. It's it's difficult because you on one hand, you want to keep that in mind, but you also don't want to make these improvements with return on investment as the only consideration, because I think the last I read, uh, a new garage door is actually what ranks the highest as far (laughs) as what improves the resale. And you just never know with who it is that's going to buy your house, whether or not they're going to value the improvements that you made. And so what I would say is make sure that you're adding utility for the way it is that you and your family live there without getting crazy with it. But instead of ROI, make it ROU, return on of utility or, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Think, Have that be the filter uh, to which you think through some of these improvements. And so much of it comes down to how long you think you're going to be in the house. If you're like, hey, listen, we're on two acres out here and this is the perfect spot for our family. It's just the house that's insufficient. And so if we do this, this, and this, then, hey, we're going to be here for the next 30. And granted, I think some people think that and maybe that doesn't end up being the case. But if if you think you're going to be there long term, it makes even more sense, I think, to funnel money into the house and make it the way you want it to be, as opposed to thinking about pure resale value. Um, Because yeah, if you're only going to be there for a year or two, and you're going to just need like bigger bones, essentially, at some point, you need a bigger, better house, something like that, then you probably don't want to sink too much in. You want to be saving up for the next down payment instead. Yeah, that's when you go to Ikea and just get yourself some organization uh, pieces. The temporary fix. Yes. The Band-Aid. Which is very much the temporary fix. Right. (laughs) Actually, scratch that. Uh, Scratch Ikea. Instead, go to your local Salvation Army or Goodwill and find you a quality piece of furniture that might also solve... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some organizational needs, yeah. if that's what you got going that's on. That's even better, yeah. And uh, I think the period, Matt, of of your life with young kids, it can be financially daunting. It feels like you're trying to do a bunch of different things at once. Three kids under the age of five, that's about as tough as it gets from a financial and a mental perspective. It can be very trying. Child care is expensive. If, yeah, if you, depending on whether or not you have help or something from family members, you're trying to excel in your career, you're trying to save for retirement, you're trying to buy or fix up a house. It feels like a lot. And Matt, you and I, we're, we know that feeling very well because you know we're not too far away from those years. Those years, our youngest boys, they're still three. And so, um, and our oldest are, are 10 now. So we still know, we still remember it's a fresh experience that you're trying to do all those things at once. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you keep chipping away. Know that those goals don't happen overnight. Make little adjustments here and there and then celebrate the wins and successes along the way because it's just so easy to fixate on the future and, and think about the easier years that are coming down the pike. But enjoy these too because they really are special times even though 
pretty worn out at the end of the day. That's right. So Rachel, best of luck to you. And I look forward to our walks together <laughs> as, <laughs> as we continue to talk about our finances. The walks that we don't even know we're taking. <laughs> we take walks around here, but we just, yeah. Rachel needs to record a, uh, a podcast and send it our way. That way it's like it's like a pen pal. <laughs> That'd be beautiful. <laughs> Relationship. But uh, we've got four more questions to get to, uh, including one from a divorcee. Whether or not she's on the right track, we'll hear from her plus others right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we're back. We've got more money questions to get to from awesome how to money listeners and matt this next question is specifically about one of our favorite retirement accounts that not enough people know about hi matt and joel this is ashish from atlanta thank you for all you do and the wealth of information that you provide today i had a quick question about hsa accounts particularly with regards to reimbursement 
later in life, potentially decades down the road. How does it work in case of family members? For example, if I pay for a medical expense for my kids now and I want to get reimbursed for that 30, 40 years down the road, would I be able to withdraw that fund and use it for myself? And also, how does it work in the case of spouse if expense currently occurs for one spouse can the partner withdraw or reimburse that amount for his or her use or medical expense later down the road was just curious thank you so much oh so ashish is from atlanta i don't think we get enough atlanta atlanta uh listener questions sent in which ashish so we're actually going to... Should we talk about this here? We're, 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 we're going to have a listener beer hang here next week. Not this Friday, but the next Friday after that, September 15th. It took a lot of coaxing to get Matt out of <laughs> his hobbit hole. <laughs> Do we want to go ahead and share? Uh, so go ahead and pencil that on the calendar because we talked about maybe doing it like around five. Should we go ahead and nail it down? I think four to eight at Inner Voice Brewing Indicator. Indicator, yeah. yeah. So they've got awesome pizza there. We'll make more official... Announcements in the future, but Ashish, this is like the little insider uh, yeah. <laughs> heads up for you, as well as any others who might be listening at this point who well, are you, from Atlanta. You said great pizza, and that is true, but Inner Voice has great beer. Beer is so good. Yeah. So literally, we're going there because you and I, <laughs> we chose this location because we're the ones that got to organize it. But we haven't been to Inner Voice, and we've had their beers before. They're so good, and the pizza, it's it's Glide pizza right right like so this is a uh, a pizzeria that you that our families used to frequent when we lived in town and they opened the second location out there in decatur i can't stink and wait it's going to be a ton of fun so if you are in atlanta or the surrounding atlanta area mark that on your on your calendar september 15th yeah hope to see you out there it's uh we don't we don't do this enough it's always fun to meet listeners in person not just go on walks with them virtually when doing it in real life we're not actually there so uh we like that too and at first i just want to let everyone know like why Ashish is asking this. And and the reason is because the HSA is actually one of the best accounts to save for retirement. And that's how he's trying to use it. Like we've talked about this. We've done whole episodes on this. We have articles up on the site about this, but almost nobody knows, sadly, that the HSA is one of the best ways, is one of the best accounts with which to save for their future. And they, they, they you know, a lot of people treat their HSA as a way to save a little bit on, on taxes, to pay for current healthcare expenses. But that's not the best way to go about it if you're thinking long term, because you can turn your HSA into a triple or even a quadruple tax advantaged account that can grow for years and decades that can compound Mm -hmm. for a long time if you do it right. And that's that's the way Ashish is treating it, which I just got to say, mad props. And part of what, what it takes to get maximum value is to pay for all of your healthcare expenses out of pocket so that you can allow for that tax sheltered money to, to keep on growing and, and compounding. That makes me think of uh, Charlie Munger's uh, quote on compounding, which is like the number one or the first rule when it comes to compounding never is to never interrupt, interrupt it, it unnecessarily, unnecessarily <laughs> which is it's okay to touch Jinx. it when you, when you need to tap it, but you got to let that thing go. And that's what we want you to also do here with when it comes to your HSA. But on, on top of that, though, you'll want to have records for every health expense that you incur, which is going to help you when it comes time to withdraw those funds. I have never had an HSA, so I've I've never been able to do this. But you better believe if I hadn't a high deductible plan, I would also have an HSA. And you better believe I would have an Excel sheet or a Google sheet 
with the date, a description, of course, the price, but also make sure that you're either taking a screenshot of those expenses or you're taking a picture of the receipt to actually have the receipt in case the IRS need, wants, to, wants to have proof of that as well. Sure. Keep it organized. Upload it to a folder, maybe the HSA folder labeled by year, perhaps. I don't know. You come up with your own system, but you got to stay organized. That's key to making the HSA work as a retirement account. Yeah. Matt, have you ever heard of hyperthymesia? No. Okay. So this is when you remember everything. And apparently it's a real problem. Like I, I, I always like talk about how, to amnesia. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Where well, you remember nothing, which is more <laughs> akin to what I have. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember things very well. Uh, just ask my wife, but hyperthymesia is, is apparently when you remember everything. I don't think Ashish has this. And so because of that, he needs to there retain those documents. And even if you remembered it, he wouldn't be able to prove it to the IRS. So you got to keep the record. He's right? like, it's up here. And they're right. like, no, that doesn't count. <laughs> right. Yeah. We can't tap that and get the files out of your brain. But uh, the heart of Ashish's question is about whether or not his family members and their medical needs to qualify to make that document. So if, let's say, one of his kiddos goes to the ER with this or that injury, God forbid, and you you know, you get a big medical bill, does that count uh, towards the HSA money you've set aside? The answer is yes, right? Your HSA funds can be used to pay for out-of-pocket qualified medical expenses incurred by your family members who qualify as dependents on your taxes. The same is true of your spouse, right? If they're listed on your tax return, if you're filing jointly, then so for that year, yeah, their expenses mm-hmm. are also eligible. And so that's true whether you have the individual or the family coverage with an HSA through your plan. That's right. And your, your kids are actually included as long as they are dependents. And that goes up. So if your kids are students, a lot of kids go off to college. And so uh, they qualify up through age 23 as well. So that's good to know when they go off to college. And if you're like me and you end up in the ER because you ate some leftovers that were left out on the counter <laughs> and you end up, you, you think you're going to die. And it turns out you've got food poisoning and you're laid up in bed for multiple days. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> Learn my lesson. I'm willing to eat my own leftovers that where I know that they weren't necessarily left in a, in a car for two days. <laughs> oh, the things we did I in college. La- I by la- we, I mean you. I can laugh now, but dude, at the time, I literally thought I was dying. I didn't know what was going on. And I'm on. sure your parents were like, we wish he would. We're so mad at him right now. This, I, I think I barely had a cell phone at that point. So I think they knew, but th- you know, this is back in the old, This is it's not the 80s. It makes me think of the Bluey episode. It was the 80s. Right. It wasn't at all the 80s. That's when I was born. But technology wasn't what it was while when, back when we were in college. That's true. Uh, we still remember pagers <laughs> and AOL Instant Messenger. I, but by the way, back to your question, Ashish, uh, it's also important to mention that HSA funds that they can be used to cover some things that your health insurance policy may not cover. So for instance, your health care plan, it might not cover new glasses or orthodontia when it comes, especially if we're talking about your kids here, which can get crazy expensive, but those count as qualified expenses via, uh, through your HSA. So if you end up spending $5,000 on braces, make sure to put that in the sheet uh, Excel file as well. But Ashish, man, I love how it is you're thinking about using your HSA. Your long time horizon is amazing here. And the fact that you're willing and able to invest HSA dollars for 30 to 40 years, that is impressive. Uh, It's going to offer you so much more future flexibility because you're maximizing all of these retirement accounts that you have at your disposal. Yeah, this is like the textbook way to use an HSA if you have access to one, right? Perfect. It's like max that joker out get all those tax benefits, invest it, and then have a lot more money that's tax-free to spend later on. But you got to document along the way, right? And so there are a lot of details that 
that you need to know in order to make that HSA work the most effectively for you mm-hmm. possible, right? So, Ashish, good luck. Keep it up, man. And Matt, let's get to our next listener question. This one comes from a listener who just like really wants to know, after going through a really difficult life event, whether she is still on the right track with her money. Hi, my name is Dawn, and I'm from Toledo, Ohio. I've listened to your podcast for several months now. I love all of your helpful hints. Your explanations of all things financial are so helpful. I am 57 years old. I'm single, live by myself, and rent my home. I have not purchased a home because my job is somewhat transitional, meaning that I am transferred to a different location every two to three years. I bring home about $2,800 a month after taxes, insurance, and money for my 401k are deducted. I also have a side gig making about $300 to $400 a month. I have 5% taken out from my 401k, and my employer matches that 5%. In addition to my 401k and my savings, I will also have a retirement pension from working for the state of Ohio for 27 years. My monthly living expenses are about $1,700. I have an emergency fund of $3,600 in a savings account, and I have $40,000 in a CD. My only debt is a credit card with a balance of $4,000. My questions are, one, I plan to use some of the money in my CD to pay off my $4,000 credit card debt once the CD matures in five months. Instead of waiting, should I deplete my emergency fund in my savings account now to pay most of the credit card debt off? Two, should I invest my $40,000 from the CD differently once it matures in November? And if so, what might be some good investment options? I have considered purchasing a short-term rental property, but I'm a little leery of making such a big purchase. And then three, I am recently divorced and very concerned about doing the right thing with my finances so that I can retire when it comes time without being incapacitated financially. Am I on the right track or do you feel that I should be doing things differently? Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. I love the show. Thanks for the help and take care. All right. Glad to have you on board, Don. And great job keeping a, a nice gap between what it is that you bring in every month and what goes out. You are living frugally. What she was saying, her monthly living expenses are like $1,700 a month. I don't care where you live. That is incredible given today's uh, the high cost of living sure. today. Yeah, just housing, groceries, yes. transportation. Like to well, keep that all in in that sphere is, is really impressive. And so she, housing. So she mentioned not owning a home. Don, don't worry about that because most folks have been brainwashed into thinking that home ownership is the only way to build wealth or the best way, right? The best way, and it's not necessarily true. I think it can work as a great forced method of savings, right? Because when you buy a home. That's just something you pay every single month. And so you're kind of automatic. It's, it's, again, it's forced savings, but renters who are diligent investors who are listening to how to money or making the right moves with their money, they can actually come out ahead by not necessarily investing um, within you know, a primary residence. That's even more true today than it was given where five or 10 years ago. Rates are, given where housing prices are. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've seen massive increases in, in both the, the cost of, of rent and the cost of a home but less <laughs> growth in the cost of rent. And so renters are, are sitting prettier than homeowners or people who want to be homeowners now. And so I just want to mention too, like how great is it to work for an employer who matches dollar for dollar up to 5%? That is pretty great. Not, not necessarily the norm, but it's pretty sweet. And so it, that, that means just by default, by putting in the five, you're getting a 10% 
total of your salary tossed into a retirement account, which is a really good place to be, right? Especially since you've got that pension to go along with what you've been putting away on your own. In many ways, you're ahead of the game when it comes to retirement savings. So this is a good place to be. It's not that maybe you can't do more down the road, but it's a good place. It's a really good starting position. And let's talk about the credit card debt for a second, because you're not alone on that either. About half of Americans have revolving credit card debt to the tune of like over $6,000. Fortunately, you've got less than that. But we would say that this should be a really high priority for you to pay it off. But should you eliminate that small savings nest egg in order to do it, in order to do it right now? We'd say probably not. That's that's right. Yeah. So if, uh, Don, if you look at our money gears, we want folks amassing $2,467 before they start paying off the credit card debt. And uh, the thing is, you have more than that in savings. It's just not that all of it is liquid. You've got a lot of it, uh, some of it in CDs. But if that were to, you know, like, let's just say an emergency comes along. Well, you'd be putting that expense of that emergency right back on your credit card. And so feel free to take whatever you have in excess of that that bare bones base emergency fund and pay that to the credit card company. Go ahead and reduce your balance. But don't use all of it because you are, again, you're, you would be in a position to where you have no cash on hand. And on top of that, too, she pulls in, I think, combined between her, her main gig as well as her side gig, she's bringing in over $3,000. So something like $1,500 a month because her living expenses are 17, right? So she's got some excess funds on hand. And I think the ability to start paying down that credit card balance, even before the, uh, that was it 40,000 that she's got in CD, locked away yeah. in that CD that's going to mature later this year. Dawn, you have the ability to really start chipping away. And on, by the time that thing matures, you could be totally free and clear of that credit card debt by starting to, to chip away at it now because you are living so frugally and because you've got that little, making that three or 400 bucks on the side. I love that. Because your margin is so substantial, even though you're not making six figures, you're still do you still got a big gap there, which is the key mm-hmm. to financial success, right? The bigger the gap, the more the more moves you can make that are going to benefit your future. Regardless of how much you make. Right. But yeah. the credit card debt's holding you back. So I, I agree, Matt. The more she can funnel from that margin, specifically to go towards credit card debt, while retaining that minimum amount in savings so that she has money on hand for an emergency, yeah. I think that's okay. Yeah. And then once that CD matures, there's probably better things to do with that money too. Like you and I, we want all How to Money listeners to use credit cards wisely and to avoid revolving credit card debt. That's Of course, that's a wealth destroyer over time. But the truth is there are probably better things that Dawn can do with that additional 40K that she's got in a CD as well. So so we should talk about that. And Dawn, first, I just want to say sorry to hear about your divorce. I mean, we know that that can be tough emotionally and financially. It's got ramifications in basically every, every realm of your life. But based on what you've told us, I want to tell you, it sounds like you're heading in the right direction. It sounds like you're making the right moves. And it sounds like you know what you're doing too, right? And so... I would think about like moves you need to make and moves you should be making as more of like tweaks instead of an overhaul. Mm-hmm. Like when when you're going in the right direction and you're going at the right speed, but maybe the the brakes are just a little squeaky, right? It's like a tune up. It's a it's a minor adjustment as opposed to making big changes. And so once that CD matures, I would say keep a decent chunk around as additional savings, kind of like that three to six months worth of living expenses that we want people to save up. And then after that, we suggest that you make it a goal to max out your Roth IRA each and every year moving forward. Since you're over the age of 55, you can contribute $7,500 this year. You can contribute... You got that. Those catch-up contributions. Yeah, eight grand next year, right? With that increased Roth amount, uh, increased IRA amount. 
So make it your goal to max that out. That is a great place for that additional savings, which might be too much savings, really, when we're talking about it. We probably want more money growing for your future. That's where we'd funnel some of that that the CD money once once it matures. That's right. Yeah. And Don, you also asked about buying a rental property. It sounds like you you move around a lot, right? And so with that in mind, it's probably not an ideal investment for you. Uh, And on top of that, we would want you to do a ton of research and some due diligence before you consider going down that path, because it's not like an investment per se. It's more like a part-time job. And you've already got a full-time job that that's going to have that nice pension and a uh, part-time job in addition. Plus that side gig, exactly. So with all that in mind, like I mean, it could be an overwhelming endeavor, but if you are super interested in it, certainly start reading up on it. Just make sure you do a lot of research there. But sticking to tax-advantaged retirement accounts and just funding those like like clockwork. And specifically, what would you invest in? I think a target date fund would be smart. As you are closer to retirement age, those funds automatically readjust it and make, sh- make sure that you are exposed to less volatility. That way, you're avoiding the sequence of returns risk. That's when were you to retire, you start withdrawing on some of those funds. If there's a big drop in the stock market, that would have a major impact on the amount of uh, money that's left there in your nest egg. And so by s- switching over to less risky, less volatile investments within that target date fund, that keeps that from happening. So we'd recommend that. It allows you to pick a date and you can start working towards that retirement year. But a solid decade of that, plus your pension and plus social security, that's not even something <laughs> that we even talked about. In addition to a continued frugal lifestyle, I think that's going to easily be able to get you where it is that you want to be. Yeah, and Don, hopefully our comments help you feel good about where you're going. Your comments always make me feel good, Joel. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> oh, right? sorry. I thought you meant, I thought you said compliments. <laughs> well, but the the one thing we might suggest, if you're interested, is to talk to a fee-only financial advisor. And so you could find one at XY Planning Network or napfa.org. Those are, those are two places where you could find somebody who meets kind of the standards for a financial advisor that, that Matt and I think are important. And if you really want wanted someone to kind of like pour over all of your yeah. financials at once, it might be worth right paying uh, a flat fee to somebody to do that. A, a few hours of their time would likely be enough to kind of go over some of these details and help give you even more reassurance and maybe some more direction too. But Matt, we got a couple more questions to get to, including yeah, whether or not someone going back to school as an adult should be socking money aside into a 529 account. Isn't that just for kids? Mm, maybe not. We'll get to that and more right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations 
get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Joel, everyone knows that tricks are for kids, silly rabbit. That's uh, that's <laughs> that's what your comment about 529s before the break made me think of. Do you remember the, those commercials? Of course. Okay, okay. Yeah. Classic. Uh, we will get to that question about 529s here in a second. But first, let's hear a question about the main bank that I actually use, me personally. Hey, Joel and Matt. This is Masa from Boston again. Recently, I read that the financial ratings agency Moody's gave Ally Financial a negative outlook. In past episodes, y'all have sung the praises of Ally Bank. I have a couple of questions. Is the Ally Financial that Moody's gave a negative outlook to the same Ally Bank that you really like for personal banking? And if so, should I be concerned that, even if my deposits are wholly insured by the FDIC, because I have less than a quarter million dollars with them, if Ally Bank goes under, I may have difficulty getting my money back out? Thanks again for all you do to educate and inform us. Oh, and confession time. I first learned about credit ratings for companies by selling bonds in the video game Railroad Tycoon 3. Okay, man, that's kind of cool. And it made me, I think, actually was talking to somebody that I know recently, and he was saying that he plays the Nintendo game Animal Crossing. Have you heard of it? Uh, maybe. Okay, I have not. I've never played it. I probably yes. haven't played video games in like 10 years. Sounds, plus. Like, a, sounds like a video game to me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but he was saying like, man, there's so many personal finance tidbits as he's been listening to the show. He's like, I've been learning, but I'm also kind of putting it into action in the video game that I'm playing. And I think that's kind of cool that video games can connect like real life truths oh yeah to the stuff we're playing it's uh i was you know playing stupid stuff like halo and nba jam but it's like it's cool to see that that some games are actually kind of helping teach us and i feel like nintendo in particular does that well doesn't halo there's some sort of market capacity right like don't you have a limited amount of a lot of death i don't remember the other stuff but (laughs) 
Well, if that's the case, yeah, video games in some cases don't do as good of it. Like, that's why we love nerdy board games, because oftentimes they mirror real life uh, when you're presented with a, a limited resource and you have to find a way to make right. the best of those limited resources. That is life. At least like, ancient real life, you know? <laughs> like wheat and <laughs> yeah. tobacco. Right. Oh, that's Puerto Rico reference that's right. right there. We haven't played that one in a while. But uh, even like uh, some video games do that, like, makes me think of the classics, like uh, Zelda. You are gathering resources and you have to, you know, you go into the shop, you got the three things that you can buy and you got to decide which one am I going to buy the bomb? Am I going to buy the red <laughs> candle or upgraded the blue candle? You know, you've got all these things that yeah. you, you got to make decisions on. So it's not just nerdy board games. Yeah, you can uh, actually learn from video games, which, yeah. which I appreciate. I agreed, especially since, <laughs> you know, we, we're not learning about this stuff in school, really. So at least if the video games have an educational element to it, I'm all for it. But that's thanks for sharing that, Masa. And let's get to the heart of Masa's question about bank downgrades. I'm sure, Matt, some listeners have seen these headlines and may, maybe they're either worried or they, they feel like they've got to change bank stat, something like that. And we talked about the, the recent downgrade to uh, credit downgrade to our country and what we think that means that's right well you know not mo- just a bank the us of a <laughs> yes <laughs> got downgraded literally the country we live in uh, <laughs> got downgraded from a credit standpoint and moody's they actually recently downgraded 10 banks and they gave negative outlooks to others ally being one of them and then fitch the agency who did give our country a credit rating downgrade they said that they're likely to downgrade dozens of banks too. And so part of that's because of multiple bank collapses that have happened throughout 2023. It has folks on edge when it comes to where they're putting yeah. their savings. Folks are a little nervous. Yeah. And a lot of individuals have moved their deposits, not to uh, better banks, but to the biggest banks, believing that that's yeah. a safer place for them to be. Uh, we want to reiterate, as always, that is not necessarily the case. The truth is the big banks offer much worse service alongside higher fees and non-existent mm-hmm. interest rates on your savings. So, no, the big banks are not safer and and they're worse on basically They're actually worse, every not level. to mention all the shenanigans that like Wells Fargo, Bank of America, which is a kind way of putting it, just yeah. more like fraud. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Cheating Shena- their customers out, out of actual dollars. It's like someone murders someone and you're like, hey, he's just not nice. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second, that no. Was, that was a mean thing it's, to do. It's much worse than that. <laughs> but that doesn't mean of course, that you've got to go bank with Ally, uh, like I do, because there are other great online banks. So should you switch to one of those? Should you completely ditch Ally? Well, that's not necessarily the case either. I still think Ally is a great choice when all this news hit. Like, I literally didn't think twice about what this meant for my, all the savings. I mean, literally, my emergency fund is sitting there in Ally, and I am not concerned about but is it that at just, all. Is that just because you're a homer, though? Uh, maybe, but so I will say if I was choosing a new bank, would I go with Ally? I might go with one that is offering a slightly higher rate, but Ally offers a really competitive rate. And they're they've got they're the, always up there in the top tier, even they're if they're not there. the very best. And they've got the the no penalty CDs, which I'm a huge fan of. And yeah. so you just plug that away and that gets you really dang close. So that keeps me from rate chasing, which can always change on a dime. It depends on what right. it is that the different banks are, are offering. You don't want to constantly be yeah floating, bouncing from one to the next. But I think it's interesting that you said that you would maybe not go with Ally only because other banks offer better rates, but not because of this credit downgrade threat. No, that is not the reason that that would keep me from going with Ally for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I like a lot that they offer. I like their interface. I like uh, their app um, on, on the phone. And Masa, if, if it's not obvious, Ally Bank, it is the banking arm of Ally Financial who 
who uh, is who actually receive that that negative outlook. And so the the risk of ally defaulting it's still relatively low. And just given the tough times within the banking se- sector in general here, not just here in the U.S. honestly, just globally, and that has largely been caused by rising interest rates, stiffer competition for your savings dollars. With all that in mind, I don't see this as a reflection of an ally specific problem. It just seems like it's more of just the it's like it's the rising tide as opposed to like a singular beach so that's got a rising tide right, right. <laughs> right? It's, it's something that's in, impacting not only the u.s but all i mean it's a global issue that that, that we're all going to be facing here a lot of experts are saying maybe early 2024 that we're going to see that small recession uh, yet to be seen. Yeah, banks are having a tough time right now. They're having a tougher time than they were in years past. And and on top of that, I think the heart of the reason we would feel totally comfortable having our savings at Ally, you do feel comfortable having your savings at Ally, Matt. Um, I, I do more business with Discover. That's kind of my main bank. But basically, if you have less than $250,000 in that account, there's no reason to worry, right? That would be me. Yeah. Not that loaded. So you, <laughs> we would tell you, you to, to make d- decision about which bank that you use or don't use based on other factors, right? Like you were talking about, like the interest rate, like the interface, like the customer service. And so if you like all of those features about the bank you're currently with, about Ally, don't let this credit downgrade reality or potential future credit downgrade you know, threats make you nervous, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's, it wasn't even an actual downgrade. It was just a negative outlook, which means it has the potential for there to be a downgrade, I guess, off, yeah. off in the future. So it's just, it's kind of like they're they're just putting it on Allies' radar, just being like, hey, we see your books, we see what's going on here, yeah. and we're just going to go ahead and preemptively say something. Yeah, and, and if, if, there, if we it's saw... It's not a material weakness yeah, in accounting and, terms. And if there were more like hard evidence that Ally in particular was doing a poor job, then, and it was impacting their customers like and they were having to cut rates and stuff like that that would be one thing but we haven't seen any evidence of that and yeah. so uh simil- if they do we will say something right and i probably will move my money sure would that be the case and similar to kind of what we talked about with the u.s credit downgrade like hey this is one of those slow moving events that you should be aware of it's not negligible it's not nothing but it's also not some sort of massive event that should cause you to take you know, big changes with how you invest or what you're doing with your money mm-hmm. but i would say too for for other folks who have more than a quarter million dollars in ally or any other bank for that matter they should fix that problem quickly right you, you are loaded <laughs> yeah yeah if you've got crazy amounts of cash on hand one you might have too much cash on hand and then <laughs> yeah. two you got to make sure that it's between multiple banks i talked to somebody recently matt who inherited a ton of money he never had a lot of money and it was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars Ooh. and so he was smart enough to split it up between multiple banks and that is something that yeah if you have that cash on hand while you're trying to figure it out it should be it should be under the umbrella of different banks so that you're getting full FDIC coverage for every dollar that you have. That's right. Uh, let's get to our last question. This is from a listener who is looking to take advantage of a pretty sweet employer benefit. Hi, how to money. This is Hannah Tisher from Greenville, South Carolina. I'm going back to school to get my MBA part-time with an employer-sponsored program. However, if I want to complete the program in 3 years, I will have to pay between five and $10,000 myself. Should I put this money in a 529 plan or continue saving it in my high yield savings account? Thanks and I hope you guys have a great day. All right, Matt, lots of cool stuff going on here with Hannah. Like first, she's going back to school to gain more skills. Yeah. Something we applaud. 
But it sounds like her employer is paying the bulk of this, which is also great. I love that. If you can get someone else to foot the bill for your education, you're doing something right. Or at least most of the bill. Yeah. Which, so she said that in order to graduate early or to do the three-year program. So that's one consideration. Is there a way that you could go more slowly, I guess. Just just take your time (laughs) and not have to pay the five to $10,000. Right. I'm sure there are other things that you are considering, Hannah. Sure. Just a thought. And sometimes graduating more quickly makes sense and you don't mind funneling some of your own dollars into that. Yeah. And, and my guess is that this MBA should lead to increased opportunities and bigger pay bumps in the future Heck yeah. with not too much out of pocket from Hannah, which is awesome. And so, yeah, w- way to take advantage of this additional perk that so many other people, so many other employees just kind of leave on the table. But let's talk about how it is that Hannah is going to fund the amount that she's going to need to contribute or that she's choosing to contribute at least. Uh, she's wondering if she should have that money there in a high yield savings account. Or if she if she should consider using the 529 uh, education account, the, the account that's offered by her state of South Carolina there. So which one do you use? Well, the answer to this is going to be both of them. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, this sounds crazy, kind of weird, but stick with me here, Hannah. South Carolina, they've got a state income tax and the, uh, the top rate is six and a half percent. Some folks pay zero. Uh, it all depends on your current income. But most that, folks... That 0% tax rate, by the way, is for people who make re- very little. Yeah, very, very little. Yeah, so yeah. you probably aren't in there. The vast, vast majority of folks pay that top rate uh, because the the sliding scale. It, it only, yeah, truly benefits folks who make next to nothing. Uh, and so given that reality, any money that you contribute to a 529 account, it's going to reduce your taxable income at the state level. So... With that in mind, we definitely want you to sock the specific amount that you you know that you're going to need to pay for an upcoming qualified educational expense into that 529 plan. That's right. But here's the thing. You don't actually have to keep the money in the 529 plan for all that long, right? One of the biggest selling points to these accounts is that you can invest and grow those dollars for future educational expenses. Which sounds like a nice thing. Yeah. yeah why, why wouldn't I want to invest uh, this money that's going to go towards my kids' college in 15, you know, 15 years from now? Exactly. You've got plenty of time to let that money grow for their future. But, Hannah, given your H- need... H- Hannah's not two years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not. And so she's got to use this money really soon in the near-term future. We don't want you investing money that's going into the 529 account. Sock it in there, but we don't want you to invest it. We instead want you to keep it in the cash equivalent. But in that account, right, the cash account in the saving for college plan, it only pays 2.75%. So once you've got it in there and you have the qualified uh, expense that year, pull it back out, put it in your HYSA, your high yield savings account, once you've got to make the payment. So the money will be in there for a relatively short period of time, could be days, could be weeks, maybe even a couple months, but then you pull it back into your life. And really what you've done is you've continued to you know, maximize the yield of those, sa- those savings dollars, but you've also gotten a sweet little tax break. We've done something very similar. Emily, of course, is in grad school studying to become a licensed therapist, and that, that we've taken advantage of the 529 account in order to basically get some state tax savings, but we're not using it in, in the same way as we are for money that we're investing for our kids' future education. Yeah, you're, you're not using it in the traditional means. You're really just jumping through a hoop in order to, to score the tax break, which is totally legal. This is totally legit. And because there are no requirements for how long that money needs to live inside of that 529 account in order to achieve that tax exempt status. 
essentially you're just fil- you're you're filtering that money. It's, a, it's almost like you're laundering your money, right, but it's right. like it's like a le- <laughs> illegal laundering. That's exactly what I the thought. The money <laughs> goes into it, but then you're immediately taking it out. But because you've stuck it in there, you get that tax. That's why status. I bought the nail salon, Matt, so that I could launder <laughs> and pay no tax on all my earnings. I think you kind of hinted at this, but you do have to wait to withdraw the money until the year that the qualified educational expense is going to occur. And so what that means, like if this were me, I would go ahead and earmark the funds that you know you're going to need to put towards tuition, right? These qualified expenses, set that money aside within your high yield savings account. And then whenever it is that you, because it may not be, that may not be a bill that comes due this year that might happen next year. And so you want to keep that money as long as possible, earning your five, four or 5% in your high yield. And then once you know that, okay, this is the year that I'm going to incur that expense, that's when you go ahead and put that within the 529 account. And that's also when you're going to take it out because when yeah. you take it out, it's it, that year, it has to go towards that qualified expense. And if you had like a longer timeline, Hannah, if you're saying, oh, this is uh, money I'm going to have to pay towards the MBA in seven, eight years from now, then I would we would say like, oh no, maybe it's a good idea to open it up and invest some of those dollars and grow it. But because we're on a more truncated time, Table, I think it makes sense to, the whole, to do it this way. The whole, yeah, exactly. The, the entire reason that we're talking about not investing it is because we want you to be able to avoid the sort of like we we're talking about earlier. Was it with Dawn? She's getting closer to retirement, and so we're looking to avoid that risk. Yeah, that's what we're trying to get you to do here, Hannah, is to avoid it, the investment risk, risk the volatility, because you know you're going to need that money now, and so anytime you know you're going to need f- access to funds in a time period less than two or three years, we don't want you investing that money. And so this is how you can earn the most on that money without actually investing it. And it doesn't have to sit there for, again, all that long. It doesn't need a like, season for a year or anything. So we want you to be able to get the best of both worlds here by taking this, what we'd call a slightly more optimized route. But Hannah, best of luck to you as you're heading off there to, to grad school or specifically to get your MBA. So did Hannah say she was in South Carolina? Did she say she was in Greenville? Uh, I don't know if she said. Okay. Well, if she is, she would easily be able to go and visit the brewery that oh, we're enjoying on, today, on today's episode. So again, this was... The, here, you say it. You want to read it? That's a silly name. Oh, yeah, yeah. These silly saying it are depictions of yet another revolutionary <laughs> absence. Uh, this is yeah. a, an imperial pastry stout, I believe. What were your thoughts on this thick bad boy that we enjoy today? Yeah, I was, first things first, it was thick. It was viscous, right? And then I tasted sweet vanilla and cinnamon combo. A little bit of that toasted coconut coming through as well. And it's just this big, burly, mag- magnificent, magnanimous stout. I don't even know what other <laughs> adjectives to throw in on this one. I would say chocolatey as well. That's like the, fir- yeah. the first thing that I noticed was it just was like chocolate. I felt like I was drinking like a hot chocolate, which is kind of the opposite. Or straight out of the Willy Wonka River. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just like drink- Augusta Snow. Drinking straight <laughs> from the sacred fount. But could you really imagine any heavier beer to enjoy on quite possibly the hottest day? Seriously. <laughs> We, we talked about how stouts are... How you want to avoid these big, heavy stouts. It's a bad idea. In the summer. It's a bad idea on 90 plus degree days. Well, okay. So here's... A, we're going to give... If you're listening to the episode this deep into the episode, we're going to go ahead and share something with you because it means that you're you're dedicated, right? So our little studio here, our little, little clubhouse, our AC unit is a window unit. And what that means is that when we record, we actually have to go and turn it off. Because it's loud. It's noisy. It's noisy. And so on these hot days... We cut it. With the AC turned off, it gets 
really warm it's, and it, I, it starts to feel like we're like really towards the center of the earth's core <laughs> what's the win hoff method whatever that is this is the opposite <laughs> it's like we're, we're basically like in a sauna here hey, free, yeah i was gonna say free sauna bro. And we've got a little thermometer over here and inside our office right now it is 92.8 degrees so we're we're sweating over it's here dedication right there uh it's one of the ways we're able to keep expenses low though joel we've got yeah. this old carriage house that is not insulated but man we still love it, though. You know what we always say? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so I think I this feel, makes us... I feel stronger. Better humans, better podcasters. Let's hope so. <laughs> if, if it doesn't make us delirious. But that's going to do it for oh, this episode. And listeners, you can find show notes up on our website, as always, at howtomoney.com. We've got other resources there, too, including the How to Money newsletter, howtomoney.com slash newsletter. comes out every Tuesday morning. It's a gem. It's, of course, free, provides uh, a lot of encouragement alongside great money advice. That's right. So, buddy, that's going to be it for this one. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories.